Let's pray. Lord, as I speak, have me speak what you want me to, to say and, and nothing else, Lord, and have us forget whatever it is that I say that's not. And, and Lord, as we go from here that about this book, and I've heard of this book, it's a, uh, not a fan. It's a really good book. And so I, I spent so much time reading this book this week, and there's a lot of good stuff in that. And of course, you know, like no matter how far along you get in your walk with Christ, uh, there's always room to grow. But reading this book, I was like, oh, oh, that's, that's where I need to grow. <laughs> Some of these ways that I need to grow. Um, and uh, I, uh, yeah, so I was, I was reading and reading and reading, and God's like, you better scribble down some, uh, some of these notes for, uh, for the message on Sunday. <laughs> um, but following Christ's example, um, in the book, it talks about uh, being a fan, because don't we want to be a big fan of who God is, of who Christ is? We want to be a big fan. Well, that's what I thought. But you know, fans, they go to the games, you know, they, they got to rip their shirts off and they got paint all over, you know, and they're, they're cheering at every game and they're a hardcore, they're there, they know everything about all the players. But you notice that the fans, they never play. They might be cheering their, their hearts out, but they're not actually involved in it. And they may know all the stats on all the team members. They, they might never have even met the team members. They've, they've never met the players. And so um, uh, Kyle Eidelman, who wrote the book, he says that we shouldn't be a fan of Jesus. We should be a follower. It's great to be a fan, but it's way better to be a follower. And, and, and really, ultimately, when it comes down to it, if we're just a fan, then what does that mean for our lives? If we've just been a fan of who God is, like there needs to be so much more than that. We need to be a follower, somebody who does know Jesus, somebody who does get involved in what Jesus is doing. Not just being a fan of what he is doing, but being a part of it. Um, and uh, another example that he gave was um, uh, Matt, Matt Emmons. He, he was uh, in the Olympics, and he was uh, shooting at a target. And th this guy was about to get a gold medal. He, he basically, um, for his next shot, he needed to just hit the target. That's all he had to do. And, and I would think, you know, a lot of us, we're, we're here, we want to follow God, and we're, we're aiming for a target. Um, and so he, he's aimed at this target, and... He shoots, and then in, in his shot would have gotten him an 8.1 score, more than enough for him to get a gold medal at the Olympics. The only problem is this is just a big fluke that you don't normally see with people um, at, at his level. He shot at the target in the next lane. Zero points for that. And so instead of getting a gold medal... He got eighth place. And, and I was thinking that it doesn't, and he talks about this, but like it doesn't matter how much effort we put in to living for God. And it does not matter how much of a heart, how much of a desire we have to live for God if we're not paying enough attention and we're aimed at the wrong target. Are we on target, the target? Or are we at a target that's pretty close? Because the target that's just next to it, that doesn't count. The score is zero. 
You don't get an 8.1 for getting a good shot at the target next door. You get an 8.1 for a target at the right target. Are we living for God? Are we truly following Him? Or are we following something like Him? Are we following something that's close to Him? And, and this is the same way when we, we're supposed to, you know, it's nice to have people that we can look up to. It's nice to have nice authors that know a lot about God. But if I were to strive and aim to live like Kyle Eidelman, no. There's a reason why I'm, you know, I might take some stuff from this book that he wrote, but the Bible, that is where I need to be aimed towards God. He is the one that we are following. Um, when we follow Him, truly following Him, right on the right target, that is when we're going to be able to live lives that are extraordinary and seeing God do the impossible. And you might think, well, Tyler, it's a little bit silly to think, like, I'm following God. God's really amazing. I know who God is. You know, we've been around. I should know who God is. We, a lot of us, we should know who God is. We should know what His target looks like. And uh, it, it seems silly, it might seem silly to think that somebody who is so zealous, so passionate about following God, so boldly following God, that it seems silly to think that they would just hit the wrong target. Well, this guy was in the Olympics, and, and it happened to him. And in the Bible, there is somebody who lived for God who was striving to live for God, was so passionate, so bold, and his name was Saul. He was persecuting Christians. He was trying to live for God and somehow was hitting the wrong target. The score for trying to live for God for him was zero. It doesn't matter if he was going to get an 8.1 because he was on the wrong target. When we follow God, we need to make sure we are on the right target. Uh, and Jesus stopped him one day, blinded him for a few days even. He stops him in the road and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He, Saul's life was put on hold. And then uh, he, he realized he's been thinking that he's following God, but he's not. He's not following God. And so he turned his life right around. He redirected his focus onto the right target. And then he did live an extraordinary life for God. He was following Christ's example. And he did it very, very well. But until that point, until that turning point in his life, he was on the wrong target. And uh, if we are trying, like if this is so important, don't we need to make sure we are truly following Christ's example? Like, this is really important. We need to not be like, oh, you know, no, I, I, I have a pretty good spiritual walk with Christ. No, we all need to stop and think about it. It doesn't matter how far along we are in our relationship with God. We need to always be thinking, Lord, am I doing what you want me to do? Am I truly living the life you want me to live? Because it is so easy to just slightly veer off course. And next thing you know, you're in the other lane. You think you're in the right one. You, you, you got, you know, you're mostly in, you're mostly in. But then next thing you know, you got one foot out. And then you keep on veering out. Next thing you know, both feet are out. The lane's right here. You can see the lane. And you don't realize that you're off track. It happens so easily to, to everybody at times. Um, and thinking about Andrew and Peter, which was the scripture that was read already, um, 
Jesus had said to them, um, come and follow me. And they, they got out of the boat. They were fishermen, and they went and followed Jesus. Well, in the book of John, it actually talks about uh, an encounter that they had before that with Jesus. Um, so they didn't just uh, get out of the boat, and that's the first time they've ever seen him. Um, so if I turn to the right page, in John, um, where is it? It says, the next day, John, um, now this is John the Baptist that, uh, that I'm reading about, um, John the Baptist, and he had some followers. He was baptizing people out in the wilderness. Um, and so the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him, heard him say this, they followed Jesus, turning around Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And then they spent the day with him. But I'm thinking, these two followers? They're, they're followers of John. They just got up and walked away from John the Baptist. The John the Baptist. <laughs> He, they're, they're, uh, he's their master. That they follow him. They uh, learn from him. And they just got up and walked away. I'm thinking, wow. I don't think John the Baptist was offended. He knew who he, who he was talking about. He knew who they went to go follow. But they then went, went and spent the day with Jesus. Um, and uh, so, uh, so they went to saw where he was staying. And they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated as Peter. That's where he gets his name, Peter. He was Simon, now he's Peter. And so they, but he just met Jesus. But I think it's incredible that John the Baptist had been talking about Jesus. And then he says, look, there he is. And these couple of disciples just leave. They go and follow God. And we can follow Christ's example, but are we waiting for an invitation? No, God has invited all of us. He wants us all to be a part of his family. But sometimes I think we're waiting for God to give us a clear sign. Like, we want Him to say that this is what I want you to do. But sometimes we need to just get up and follow. We just need to go after Him because of, because of the things that we know about Him. The, the, we know who He is, the things He has done. Are we willing to chase after Jesus? Or are we waiting for Him to come to us, take us by the hand? Well, and I guess I'm thinking a lot in... Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the angels had to pull Lot and his family out of the city because no matter how much they warned them, they were still hesitant to leave. And are we waiting for God to take us by the hand and drag us to where he wants us to go? Or are we ready, are we willing to just chase after him? God is good. All goodness is based on him. Are we willing to follow what is truly good? Or are we looking, are we waiting for something better? I, we, we can't really wait for anything better. Um, and uh, I was thinking about the demon-possessed man. 
Um, the one when Jesus asked, um, he was talking to the demons, and he said, uh, uh, and, and they said their name was Legion. And so this guy has so many demons in him, and Jesus casts all these demons out. They tried negotiating. It didn't go well, which I've always thought it was interesting. Jesus casts all these demons out. They go into a herd of pigs, and then the herd of pigs runs off, uh, they run off a cliff. And, and you could th- I used to think, like, that's terrible. Why, why would Jesus do that? Like, all those farmers, of course they're upset. Well, then somebody pointed out to me one time, these are Jews. They don't eat pigs. Why were there pig farmers? What were they doing with all these pigs? It's like, oh, you know what? God really does, he, he's very knowledgeable, and he, he does know everything. And you know what? I think maybe Jesus knew what he was doing when he did that. The, the demons are like, oh, don't, don't do anything. Don't hurt it. Just cast this out over those pigs. And, and well, Jesus had a whole plan for this. But Jesus basically, he casts all these demons out of this man. And I think it's incredible what this man wanted. He wanted to follow God so wholeheartedly. And now, wait, let me turn to the right page again. Now I need this page. Um, Mark chapter 5. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. He begged Jesus. He's not just chasing after him. He is begging. Lord, let me follow you. Please, let me follow you. And so then it continues to say, Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Jesus told the man, no. You ever been so passionate about something? You're like, this, I want to do this for God. And then God is like, no. He tells you not to do it. It doesn't make sense when you're so passionate about something. Why would God tell you you can't do something that you want to do for Him? You want to follow Him. You want to do this for Him. And God says no. Sometimes He does that. But, and, and, and anybody know what a Decapolis is? I've, I've like, I've, I used to have no idea what this is. And uh, I got a study Bible, and I, I'd look it up. It has so many informational notes in there. The Decapolis was a series of ten cities. This man went throughout ten cities telling everybody what Jesus had done. I think Jesus had an idea of what he was doing when he told this man no. He told this man no, don't come follow me, but go home and tell everybody. He went home and he told so many people what Jesus had done, going place to place, telling them who the Messiah is, who his Savior is. That sounds pretty incredible. Sometimes God has to tell us no, and it redirects us onto that right target. It's great to say that you're willing to follow God. Are you willing to chase after him? And are you willing to follow him even when he says no? Now, this man, he was very, very passionate about following God. But if he had decided, excuse me, if he had decided no means no, and he just went home and told everybody in his family, 
that wouldn't have been nearly as good. When God says no, it's not that God is trying to shut you down and keep you from doing anything. It's that God has a better plan, a really good plan. Um, and I was thinking about Stephen. Stephen, it's an incredible story. Stephen was a younger man, uh, and this is after Jesus has already died and gone back up into heaven. Or he died, came back to life, lived for a few more weeks with his disciples, goes back up into heaven, and then, um, then the Holy Spirit comes, and, and then there's Stephen. So I think of Stephen, he's kind of like us. How will we follow God now? How will we choose to follow Jesus even though Jesus isn't here physically among us? And so Stephen, he, he, he sounded like he was really somebody who was up and coming, doing a lot of great things. And um, Stephen, he, he, would, he was uh, chosen as one of the people that, would, um, as it's talked about here, that would be helping provide for people. And then Stephen, um, <clears throat> chapter, Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8, says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as provinces of uh, Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. When we need it, God gives us the wisdom that we need. When we're following him, doing the things that he wants us to do, the, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit inside of us, is telling us, what we need to do. He fills us when our, with His Holy Spirit when we say that we want to follow Him. And so when we need Him, His Spirit is there. His Spirit is always there. And we, we can talk about how good it was to have, um, for the people back then, to have Jesus physically there with them. But even better than that, each and every one of us who follow Him now have the Holy Spirit in us. We don't have Jesus with us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. It is God that is in us. Um, and so Stephen, uh, he was given wisdom by the Holy Spirit, the words to say at the time he needed them. And um, what's this? I made a note about 15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked, in, uh, looked intently at Stephen as he, he was taken to the Sanhedrin because they're going to, well, they're going to have to figure out what they need to do with him. And when, Cedron, when Jesus was before the Sanhedrin, then he went to be crucified and killed. Um, so they looked intently at Stephen, and they saw his face was like the face of an angel as he's, he's about to speak to them. And then, now the Sanhedrin, these are the wise people who have been, they have been trained in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament scriptures that they had up, up till that point. And um, so they knew all of their stuff. They know inside and out the story of Moses and all the stuff that went on. They know what has happened all throughout their history. They know all of this stuff. You ever talk to somebody and you don't know what to say because you know that the person you're talking to knows way more about the subject than you do? Well, um, Stephen then speaks to them. He gave them an all-out history lesson of the things that they already know. He tells them 
all of the whole summary on from Moses on all the way through the story. You guys know this is what happened. And then this is what he says to them in one of these verses. Oh, next page. You stiff-necked people! Exclamation mark. Whew. Sometimes when we're following God, we're not just supposed to be saying all the nice flowery things. We have to speak truth too sometimes. And he says, you stiff-necked people. He'd just gotten done talking about how their ancestors had already uh, uh, killed all the prophets, and now they killed Jesus and all sorts of stuff. He says, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there every prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You, have re- you who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. He is telling them exactly what they need to hear. Because they're not going to hear it from anybody else. This guy is standing by himself. I don't think he has anybody there with him. Jesus is not standing there beside him. He does have the Holy Spirit inside of him, just like we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. But he is standing there, and he needs to do what God wants him to do. And he is going to be bold. He's not going to keep his mouth shut and not say anything that doesn't sound all nice and stuff, because he needs to speak God's truth. Um, And then they take Stephen, and they drag him out of there so that they can stone him. And it says, um, as they covered... Oh, where was I? When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He's looking up and he sees Jesus. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of the young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. And would we really have the guts? Would we really have the Holy Spirit inside of us, even better, to say what Stephen said to the people that are currently stoning him? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord. Do not hold this against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. Do not hold this against them. I think of Jesus when he said, Lord, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Stephen said that same kind of thing as he is being stoned. Jesus had done that. But how many of us would be willing to do that also? How many of us are even willing to put ourselves out there in a situation that would require us getting killed like this? Most of us, I don't think we'd be willing to do that. But that's what God wants us to be willing to do, to do anything for Him. It doesn't mean He's going to ask us to do this. But are we really willing? Would we be willing to truly give everything to God? It says in, in Matthew, or actually I'm going to read a verse from Luke. It says, 
Whatever, whoever, Jesus said, well, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Are we willing to take up our cross? Are we willing to say, Lord, my old self has been crucified with you, and just as you came back to life, I want to have new life. I want to live for you, and I will carry whatever burden it is that I need to carry, and I will live for you. When is the last time that any of us did something? I'm not not saying that nobody's done it, but how often? When is the last time that we sacrificially gave something to follow God? When is the last time that we were willing to do something drastic to follow Him? And uh, I was an assistant pastor at a church for uh, over four and a half years, and I oversaw the youth ministry. And I would tell them all about how we need to follow God. And I would tell them the same story that, I, that a lot of you have heard me tell, tell about the first time I preached and how I could not speak publicly. And then God blew my mind and I realized God really can do anything. He proved to me that he can do anything. And so um, I, I would tell them this story about this big, huge leap of faith that I took to even get up front when normally I can't say anything and then to have nothing prepared and God wants me to go up and speak anyway, that doesn't make sense. But God blew my mind. He can do the impossible. Nothing good is impossible with God. And so I would tell these teenagers, I would tell the people in the whole congregation when I would preach to everybody, I would tell them what God did in my life when I was willing to take a leap in faith. And then after over four and a half years of this, God made it clear to me there was another step, another leap of faith that God wanted me to take. And so he he said to me, it's time to be done here. There's nothing more that I want you to do right now at this church. And so I gave up my job, my full-time job doing ministry. I'd always been a substitute teacher on top of that. That's what I'm still doing. But I had nothing else lined up. I had no job lined up. And I know there's lots of people that really want me to come be a pastor at different churches, and this church included. But when God tells me what I need to do, just as he tells any of us, we need to do that. And so I took a huge step in faith for me because I am the person that I like to have all the things lined up. I like to have all the details worked out. But no, God told me to give up my job and then I needed to do everything else that God had been trying to tell me to do and I didn't have time for. I didn't have enough time for God Almighty, the creator of everything, our God. I was a pastor and I didn't have enough time for God. And so now, I work hard doing all these other things that God had been trying to tell me to do, and I didn't have the time to do. And now in my spare time, you know, I'm, I'm here, I preach at churches almost every week. God has a plan for us, and He will provide for us, but I'm like, God keeps telling, He's making it so clear to me that I needed to take this leap of faith. I've been preaching it for years. It's time for me to take another leap of faith. And so, and I don't know when the next time God will tell me to take another leap, but when those leaps come, are we willing to take those leaps? Are we willing to say, Lord, I know you are there. I know you are with me, and I know you will help me to do your will. Will we follow Christ 
no matter what it is that he asks us to do. There's a lot of times God has asked me to do things and I have not done them. But on some of these things where he has asked me and I have said yes, I am very glad. I am very glad. Um, and I think, like, when is the last time? Like, that would be the last time I did something drastic for God. But how often are we willing to do something drastic for God? How often are we going to say to God, I want to do whatever, whatever it is that you want me to do. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And it, it seems weird that when we give our lives to God, and God wants all of it. He wants all of us. He doesn't want us to just give him part of our lives. He wants us to give him everything. And, and it seems weird to basically the world that when we say we give everything, but that's when we find true freedom. When we truly give God every part of our life, that is when we are so free. We could be slaves to sin, all the bondage that it keeps us under, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. We can live our lives doing what we want, doing what other people want. We can do, live our lives being slaves to all sorts of kinds of things, all sorts of sins. Or we can live our lives for God, giving Him everything. And in return, He basically gives us everything too. He will give us eternal life and so much more. Every struggle we go through, He is there with us. But sometimes we go through more struggles with God because He will ask us to do challenging things. He will ask us to go out of our comfort zone, to go out of our way to do things for Him, to do things for other people. And it is so worth it. But it's like the more you give God the more worthwhile it is. If we just want to hold on to some things, it's not going to go so well. We do not get eternal life. And, and uh, in, uh, in Revelation, it talks about um, the church of Laodicea. They, he, he says, you are neither hot nor cold, so I will spit you out of your mouth. He wants us not to be lukewarm. He wants us to be on fire for God. That's what he wants. Are we willing to truly follow Jesus every single day. It doesn't matter what we've done in our past. It doesn't matter even if we've been a horrible Christian. If we say to God, Lord, help me to live for you. Forgive me for the things that I have done wrong and help me to live every single day for you. He will come into our lives. He will fill us with his Holy Spirit and he will help us to do incredible things for him. Not always what we think, like the demon-possessed man who had all those demons cast out of him. God told him no. Andrew, he was chasing after Jesus. He went and got his brother, pulled him along. And Stephen, this is after Jesus was gone. But we still follow him. Let's pray. Lord, you are amazing. You are so incredibly amazing. Help us to not simply be a fan, but to be a true follower of you that we would live our lives for you, giving you everything we have. What we have, Lord, it's not ours, it's yours. And you will do so much more good with it than we would ever imagine. Lord, help us to live for you every single day, giving you all that we have.
so that we can have your will here on earth just as it is in heaven. You are so good, Lord. You are perfect. You are true goodness. And help us to be filled with all of this in our lives. That we wouldn't be slaves to sin, but we would be slaves to righteousness, filled with your everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen.